Welcome to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. As a community of faith, we are passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus. And I'm glad that you're uh, able to tune in and, and hopefully uh, be able to uh, be encouraged by the Word of God as well. But we're in Acts chapter number 17. I want to ask you those who get started today, how many of you remember uh, what it's like to go to a job interview? Anybody remember what that's like? Or uh, uh, maybe you're looking for a job right now and you need a job interview. I don't know, Michelle, if you're looking for a job right now. But, you know, they teach you things in school and they they tell you, you know, things you need to look for when you're looking for a job. But I was thinking about it and I, I remember when I was in college, um, after my first year, year of university, I was back home and I was like, I got to get a job. Obviously I was broke broke, broke. I don't even know how you say it. I was broke. I had nothing. I barely got home. You know, my parents bought my plane ticket home and I was like, I got to work this summer. And so I started looking for a job that paid better than my London drugs, uh, early morning stocking job of like eight thirty-seven an hour or whatever it was, you know? And so I was looking and I went looking for a job and I got out the newspaper now, some of you, you're like looking for a job in a newspaper. That's how us old people used to do it, you know. We get a newspaper out and we would uh, I have a highlighter, you know. Maybe you've seen an old movie, you know, and highlighting and I'm looking for jobs. Well, this one job ad just like got me and I was like, okay. And here's what that ad said. The, the, the ad said, uh, first of all, it talked about making a higher wage, which I'm like, great. You know, 20 bucks an hour. I mean, that's life-changing money when you're back in 2003 or 2001, 2002, Oh, what, yeah, 2002. Man, that's, that's, oh, that's a long time ago. I'm old, 2002. 20 bucks an hour, you know. And then also what it said, which I thought was so great, uh, th- that really hooked me anyway, is that it says, like, it can be life-changing for you. Uh, you can change the world. You're going to meet some amazing people. And it said on there, like, you will, you will change the world. Like, you will make a real difference in this world. So as a 19-year-old, I'm like, I'm all in on that, right? I want to change the world. You know, I went to, just went to Bible college for a year. I'm ready to go. And so I go to this interview. It's down on Marine Drive by Maine. Uh, Main Street down there, and um, I guess down there, and, uh, and and I go to the job, and I walk in, and it's a group interview. It's a room about this size, and there's probably 30 people in there, and I'm like, man, uh, world changers, right? Like, we're here, and I'm all excited about it until I heard the pitch, and so I was all pumped. I'm like, we're going to world changers, right? And then this guy came out, and he explained to us that the life-changing world-shaking, I mean, just mindset-changing job was selling knives that could cut through an old shoe, right? And uh, right through shoe leather. And I was like, man, I don't have any knives that can cut through a shoe. And so, no, I'm joking. Do you know what I said? I was like, I'm out. (laughs) I literally said, I'm out. And I stood up. I was in the front. I stood up and I walked out of that because I was like, okay, man, this is going to be tough. I'm going to have to leverage all my family relationships, you know, to make any money. And uh, and, and I felt deceived because he's like, man, you know, you're going to change the world. Well, yes, the question and the question I was saying is, why did I even go to that interview? Well, it's because it promised me something, right? It promised me a, a way for me to make a difference. It promised me a way. And if you sold knives, by the way, I'm not against that, all right? If, if you were able to do it, I just am not the personality. I can't pull it off. Uh, first of all, a guy my size coming to your door with a bunch of knives, right? That never, never goes over very well. But, uh, uh, um, uh, but, but it, it gave me something to look forward to. I was like, man, I can make a difference. I can change the world. And, and, and the reason that it works, the reason putting things like that, and you've probably seen job interviews or you've had maybe people reach out to you with a life-changing opportunity, you know, uh, on social media or something. And, and, and they, the reason that we are hooked by it, we're like, wow, that would be great. is because in all of us, we all want to make a difference, don't we? 
Every one of us, even if we say, nah, I don't really care, we do. We want to be a person uh, that can be known for making a difference, for making a change uh, in this world. And of course, we see it today on all different fronts. Many people today are trying to change the world, aren't they? They're trying to change the world by uh, maybe in a quiet way. They're trying to, uh, maybe through their career or through their art or, or, or some ideal that they have that they're trying to uh, p- uh, pursue or push, uh, they're going to change the world. Others are much more vocal about their message or their demonstration of what they're trying to get across. Uh, but whatever it is uh, that we have as humans, we have a desire within us to make a difference, to change the world, to make some changes. But as Christians, we have to look at it from a Christian mindset, right? As Christians, we always look at things through the lens of the word of God, through the lens of what it looks like to be a Christian. And as Christians, here's what we have to remember, that there is nothing in this world, there's nothing in you or nothing in me that truly can change the world like the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think you understand that. As Christians, there is nothing uh, that will really make a difference than Jesus Christ uh, crucified and risen from the dead and proclaimed to our world. That's really the only thing that can make a difference as men and women repent of their sin, trust and put their faith in Jesus Christ and see them, uh, see him radically transform them from the inside out. And as Christians, we are expected to be difference makers. Did you realize that? As a Christian today, you are expected. The word of God tells us and shows us the expectations that you are to be a person who would be willing to give up their life in order to spread the gospel. Did you realize that's an expectation of scripture? An expectation of us as believers is that we would willingly give our, of ourselves to impact nations, to go and to give the gospel to uh, nations all around the world. And like the missionaries in the book of Acts, we are to be people who are dedicated to influencing world change. Now, I realize there's some people today who are like, it's too late for world change, right? Maybe some of you are like that. I, I know some pastors who are like that. They're like, man, Jesus is coming soon, right? And so I'm not, I'm not going to try to do anything. I'm just going to do what I'm doing. I'm going to comfort the sheep. You know, I'm going to comfort the church family. And that's it because Jesus is coming. And that's true. Jesus is coming. But listen, if Jesus comes tomorrow, you can still reach somebody for him today, right? You can still influence somebody's life for the gospel today. And so as Christians, we are to constantly recognize that we have an opportunity to make a difference. And we've got to take to heart The principles that we've been seeing in the book of Acts as Paul and this missionary dream team have been going out and preaching the gospel all around Europe now at this point. Now, one author said it this way, uh, talking about the journeys of Paul, and he said it so well, I wanted to share it with you. He said this, he said, when we study the journeys of Paul in the book of Acts, we're not just reading the travel log of a man. Okay, this isn't Gulliver's Travels, right? Uh, this isn't, you know, if you're a Star Trek fan, you know, Stardate, uh, two zero, you know, Captain's Log. You know, this is what happened today. This is not just a a journal. Okay, what we are reading or observing is the redemptive plan of God unfolding as He promised. Now think about that. We are not just, you know, reading Paul's diary, you know, of how he went out and did some things. We are reading and seeing the redemptive plan of God unfolding before our very eyes. Through the ministry of Saul of Tarsus, God's mission to reclaim his creation from the death grip of evil would move to its next stage. I thought that was so great. An explanation of what is taking place here in this, uh, in this book. And, you know, God's plan has always been that his creation turned back to him by using believers like you and I to be carriers of the truth. But we're not just supposed to be carriers of the truth. Here's the thing we're not supposed to be. We're not supposed to be asymptomatic 
carriers of the truth. You know what that means? Right? right? Today, we're all talking about asymptomatic. Right? Look, somebody with COVID, they have no symptoms. That's not how it's supposed to be as a Christian, okay? Too many Christians, there's no symptoms that they're a Christian. We are to actually have the symptoms. We're to have the cough and the fever. No, you know what I mean. We're to have the, we're to have the demeanor, right? We're to have the, the, the right attitude. We're to have the, 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 the Jesus light that we see in Scripture. That's what we're to have. And those are the things that truly can begin to make a difference. And it creates a passion with it, within us. I mean, just think about last week's message from Acts chapter 16, how the passion of the gospel uh, changed or, or through Paul and Silas and through their suffering in prison changed an entire town, right? Man, we have a jailer who turned to Christ. We have a demon-possessed girl freed from that demon and turned to Christ. We have a, a very wealthy businesswoman uh, who came to know the Lord and it radically trained, uh, changed the town of Philippi and that's all because of the gospel. And a great church was established there in Philippi as a result of people just following through with what we're supposed to do as Christians, which is try to change the world by sharing the gospel. Well, Paul and Silas, we're gonna pick up the journey today with Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 17. We pick it up with them leaving the town of Philippi. Now that would have been hard, right? Think about it. That would have been hard for them to leave that town. I mean, they had the government's approval, remember? After, the, after they came in, Paul, Silas, so sorry for putting you in prison. So sorry for putting you in prison. You know, they could basically do whatever they wanted in that town, but God was moving them on. And so we pick it up in verse number one of Acts 17, uh, where they are on their journey. So it's now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, so they left, they came through two other towns uh, where there was a synagogue of the Jews there in verse number one. Now they would have followed something that's called the Via Ignatia. And you can see it here, I've got a picture of it. It's still in existence today. It's an east to west trade route that was built by the Romans. And what is so amazing to me is that the route, uh, the route that the Romans built to move soldiers and to move supplies for their conquest was the same roads that the gospel was going to all of the known world. And that's just a miracle of God to think that he would use a wicked empire like Rome uh, in order to spread his word. And so we see here on this road uh, that they would have traveled. And that's beautiful, isn't it? I was talking to Jeanette uh, in the first service and I said to her, I said, man, uh, I think that needs to be maybe a bucket list item for me. What do you think that I should go to, uh, to Greece and go on this road, backpacking trip? You can still do it today. I think that'd be great. Yeah, okay, all right, I need your help here, so help me with that. Anyway, um, but they're on this, this road and they're, they're, they're going on this trip uh, it's about 160 kilometers, and they come to a town called Thessalonica. And I've got a map here just to kind of give you the idea of where everything was laid out. So they started in Philippi. Uh, they went through those other two cities, 160 kilometers, and they came down to Thessalonica. Now, Thessalonica was a port city. In fact, it was the capital of Macedonia, as it was called in that day. And it was a very busy city. In fact, it was, uh, it was large in the fact that they believed that it was close to 200,000 people. And if you take that ideal of 200,000 people in that day, day with how the population was in that day. Today, it would be a city of several million people, very busy, lots of trade in and out, and it would have been a real uh, happening place. And this is where Paul, Silas, and Timothy go. Now, Luke is not with them anymore. You say, how do you know that? In verse number one, did you see how it said, and they went? Up until that point, it had been, and we went. Now, Luke is the writer of the book of Acts. So now he says, they. So we assume from that, that it's Paul, it's Silas, and young Timothy. Now, they come to this bustling port city of Thessalonica. And what we see happen here is a pattern is established, or a pattern is continued that we've seen in their other journeys. So today, all here's what we're doing today. Just to give you a rundown. Today, we're looking at 
Paul's journey to two different cities. And in that journey, what we're going to see is we're going to see um, some lessons for us as Christians. Now, a lot of the lessons so far have been about, you know, the lost and have been about our approach to them. Today's message is really about you and I as Christians and how we can learn from these two stories as to how we can make a difference in our world today. So I want to get right into the message. Verse, uh, point number one today, we see a biblical witness in Thessalonica. We see a biblical witness, point number one, in Thessalonica. Let's look at verse number two and verse number three. It says, and Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them. Well, what's them? That is the synagogue. And so they go to the synagogue there of the, of the Jews, and they come in, and they sit down, and look what he does. He went into the, unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. What does that mean? That means for three Saturdays. Now you say, well, is that all he did? No, no, no. He didn't just talk for three, three Saturdays. You know. By the way, that's what people think of pastors, right? They're like, oh, he just shows up on Sunday, says something, and does nothing the rest of the week, right? No, no, no. No, he was working with the people. He was preparing. Uh, he was uh, discussing with, with the people there in that city. And he did it for three Sabbath days. And look what he did. He reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. I love that. He reasoned, that's the idea of like talking back and forth from the word of God. Look what he did in verse three, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. What is that? That's the gospel, isn't it, right there? That's the gospel right there that Jesus uh, suffered for our sins, that he died and that he rose again. That's the gospel that he went and he preached uh, to this city. And as he preached this to that city, what happened is that he established for us a little bit of a pattern when it comes to sharing the gospel. Notice what he did, first of all, is he established a point of contact. Did you see that? He went right to the synagogue. By the way, if you're ever going to share the gospel, you need to have a point of contact with people, right? You need to have, so you can't just walk up and be like, bro, you're going to, no. okay, right? Right? You know what I'm talking about. You can't just, you can't just be like in people's faces. You have to have a point of contact. So that's what he does. And then we see that he expounded the scripture to him. What does that mean? That means he taught them what the word of God said. He, he dis, uh, uh, had, had discord with them back and forth. There was questioning and answers. They were, they were going back and forth. It was a discussion. That was the idea of reasoning. And then the third thing that we'll notice in the passage is that he expected various responses. And that's the truth. Whenever you share the gospel, guess what? Some people will listen and some people won't listen. And that's what we see as we continue here in the passage. Look at verse number four. It says, and some of them believed. Awesome, right? Some of those people believed the gospel and consorted with Paul and Silas. That's the idea of they, they just sort of banded together like we're, we're going to be together now. They, we're going to hang out. And of the devout Greeks, a great multitude. So of the Greeks, now they were at the synagogue, right? To the Jews. But we see Greeks coming to know the Lord. And of the chief women, not a few. So we see that there's some that believe Many Greeks and some leading women in the city, not a few, which means what? A lot. If it's not a few, that's a lot. So several, quite a few people then came to know Jesus Christ. And that's what happens when the gospel is taken to a city. And, and the thing I want you to get out of this first section here is that, listen, the gospel must be central to everything that we do. It's the first thing that he did. He went there and he preached to them the gospel. But Paul did not just come in there and say, hey, everybody, I want you to know that the Messiah has come. What did he do? He came in and he showed them from the scripture. He answered their questions. He uh, was able to articulate uh, the gospel to them. And then he was able to point them to the risen savior. And listen, that's what we've got to be able to do as Christians today. 
We've got to be able to, to keep the gospel, to keep the word of God, to keep the goodness of God and his salvation to us. That must be the first, uh, the first thing that we must be doing, the thing that we need to keep at the forefront uh, of our minds. And so he went and he reasoned and he opened and he shared the gospel with them. And whenever the gospel goes out, I want you to notice that it can stand on its own two feet. Do you realize that? I think sometimes we think that we got to be all like tricky with the gospel, right? We have to be like super cool and have these like visual aids, you know, and it has to be all like, whoa, like if I juggle these three balls and make something disappear and then they'll believe. No, you just need to give them the truth that Jesus Christ died for their sins, that he loves them and that he rose again, proving that he is God. And we just need to tell them and let the Holy Spirit do the work in somebody's life. We have to realize that, that there is something supernatural in the process of salvation. You realize that you are not going to convince somebody to be saved. No matter how much you try to convince them, they are going to have to believe in the truth that Jesus Christ is God. And so Paul gives them a pattern to follow. He goes there, he knows the word of God, he shares it with them. But another thing that we see in this passage is that Paul and Silas and Timothy spoke up for the Lord. I want you to notice this. I want you to get this. They did not, when they went to a town, they did not walk in and be like, all right, guys, uh, let's get jobs and just live, live good. And then hopefully somebody will ask you, why are you different? And then you can share the gospel with them. They didn't do that, did they? When they came to a town, they went and they had a point of contact and then they told them the gospel, right? They, here's what I'm trying to get across. They spoke up. They spoke up about the gospel. Now today, it's very popular in many circles to practice something which is called lifestyle evangelism. You ever heard of that before? Lifestyle evangelism? By the way, it's a good thing. It's not bad. And what that means is that you just live your life and you just live your life as a good, a good little Christian. And then someday someone will ask you, why are you like you? Like, why do you, you know, do the things you do? And then you'll be able to share with them the gospel. Okay. Now listen, is that a good thing? Yes. <laughs> Should you live like a Christian? Yes. A couple of dangers with that though. One of the dangers is that your life then becomes about performing, right? Because in your mind, you're like, if I don't act really good all the time, then therefore I'm not a good Christian and therefore someone may not, you know, be saved or whatever. And so it becomes a life of performance. The other issue here, the other issue is that we as Christians are called to tell, right? We're called to tell the gospel, uh, recently, it's so interesting to me, I, uh, I, I guess it's been a year or so, um, but I came across somebody that I met in the community who uh, said that they were a pastor, that they were like a Christian leader. They were a missionary. Sorry, they were a missionary to East Vancouver. And I was like, awesome. You know, like, what are you doing? But the problem was, is they came to me. I didn't go to them. They came to me. And guess what? They were mad at me. They're angry at me. I'm like, Missionaries don't get mad. No way, they do get mad, right? They're humans, right? I was like, well, why are you upset at me? And here's, here's why they're upset at me. They're like, your church is always putting out invitations in the neighborhood, and you're always giving out stuff, and you're inviting people to church, and you're trying to give them the gospel, and, uh, and they're like, stop doing that. This is what they said to me. And I was like, what, what, you know, like, what's going on here? And they're like, and I'm like, well, what, like, what do you mean you're a missionary to East Van? They're like, well, I have moved here. And I am, I am here to uh, just live here. And I'm here to live the gospel in the community as a, as a missionary here. And I'm going to live here and then, and then I'm going I'm to spread the gospel through my lifestyle. I said, well, how long have you been here? Seven years. So way longer than I have been. Seven years in this neighborhood. 
And I was like, okay, great. Well, how many people have you been able to see, you know, come to faith and turn to Christ? None. They're like, I'm still waiting for that opportunity to come. And I'm like, seven years, seven years of living in a community and as a missionary funded by outside sources, by the way, and you've never shared the gospel, you've never seen someone come to Christ, okay, they're missing something there, right? You understand what I'm saying? And I'm not, I'm not against that person or what they're doing, but I do know what the word of God says, which we are to go and preach and tell. And so at some point, you got to tell somebody. And so, you know, all the time we have opportunities to share our faith with people. Just this week, I was at uh, the coffee shop up here and I was getting a coffee and someone just approached me and was, started talking to me. I have, a, I have a friendly face, I think, you know, I don't know. <laughs> they just started talking me up, you know, and I was like, okay, let's talk it up. So we're talking, you know, uh, for half an hour. But the whole time I'm like, Lord, why am I talking to this person? Like, why did they approach me? And so I tried to make sure that I gave them the gospel. And so I had an opportunity and it came and I, whoop, you know, I saw it and I gave them the gospel. And, uh, and, and guess what? They didn't believe. They didn't believe. Uh, you say, what do you mean? You're a pastor. If you share the gospel, people get saved. No, no, it's, right? it's not how it works. I wish. But you know what? I was able to plant the seed in his life of the word of God. And I shared that with him and I encouraged him with it. And maybe uh, at another time, the, he'll, he'll turn to Christ. But my point is, is we have to be willing to just say something. We have to say something. To give out an invitation to church, you say, I have a hard time. Well, invite somebody to come to church with you. You know, uh, uh, post a, vo- a verse on your, on your social media, post something about the gospel, uh, share the gospel page on our website, do something uh, that you can to, uh, to, uh, uh, to, to share what we are called to share. And that's, and, and that's what they did here. Paul and Silas went to this town and they just began to share and to preach and to teach the gospel. And some then believed. And anytime somebody believes, man, it's a cause to celebrate. I'm sure they were excited that those uh, there had turned to Christ and uh, yet, though, the problem was is that, as we always see, whatever, whenever the gospel goes out, there's always opposition, right? You're like waiting for it. That's the whole book of Acts. It's like, great things, attack, <laughs> you know? So we're going to see that again. Look here in verse, uh, verse number five. It says, but the Jews, what do you know? The Jews, what do you know? What do you know, huh? What do you know? They're mad. Surprise. Here we go. But the Jews, believe not moved with envy. Now that talks about the source of their anger. They were envious of what was happening. Let me tell you, religious people always get upset when the gospel goes out. Always. People who are religious, people who are trusting in their works to be saved, always get upset when the gospel goes out. So they were moved with envy, took unto them certain, I love this, Lewd fellows of the baser sort. We'll talk about a description, right? It's like, man, bro, these guys are lewd fellows of the baser sort, you know? What an insult. That doesn't mean that they were basic, all right? Okay. Some of you get that. It's actually, uh, it's not an insult. It's a description of who they were. Okay, so they got these guys. I'll explain it in a minute. And they gathered a company and set all the city in an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. So the Jews get upset. They get angry. And so they want to put a stop to what Paul is doing. So they get these guys, these lewd fellows of the baser sword, which basically means wicked men, all right? Uh, one commentator said it this way. They're bums, is what he said. Like, these guys are just bad dudes. They're people who are always looking for trouble, right? Maybe you have friends like that, or maybe you're that person. I hope you're not that person, you know? I'm just, I'm, I'm always looking for a fight. You know, I'm ready for trouble. And so they find these guys, and I imagine they're all probably hanging out together, sitting around doing nothing, right? Not working. 
and the, and the, the Jews come over here and they say, hey guys, I got something for you to do. And so I don't know if they paid them. That, would, that was very common that you see that throughout scripture. Some of the Jewish leaders, they would pay people to go and get upset and start a riot and start, you know, getting angry. Man, there's really interesting connections here. Anyway, uh, and they go and they get these guys and they get them in this riot and they go to Jason's house. And they go to Jason's house because that's where Paul and Silas and were staying. You say, well, who's Jason? Obviously, Jason is somebody who became a Christian in the last three weeks. Think about it. So somebody, just like Lydia in chapter 16, they got saved and immediately hospitality was shown to those. Man, I love that about it. I, what I love is when I travel, and, and I've been to many different countries around the world, and I'm so thankful for that. But everywhere I go, if I meet another Christian, they're so kind. They're so hospitable. Man, some of the greatest moments I had were in some of the poorest villages in Romania, in gypsy homes in Romania, where they invited me and my group in and were so, so kind to us. So kind to us. Why? Because they're Christians. I'm a Christian. They're so hospitable. And so Jason opens his home. And so this mob goes to his house and they're like, give us Paul, you know, and they're yelling and they're causing all of these issues here. But Paul wasn't there. So look at verse six. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and uh, certain brethren unto the rulers of the city crying, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. I love that. Whom Jason hath received, and these do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, there is no other king, uh, uh, there is another king, one Jesus. Now the mob, they don't find him there, so they take Jason to the city council. So imagine uh, going down to the Vancouver city council, and they bring him down here, and they make two accusations of them. The first accusation is that these guys are preaching about another king other than Caesar. Now in the Roman culture, to say there's another king but Caesar, that's a big no-no. You don't do that. I mean, your life is threatened if you would try to claim that there's someone uh, over the throne. And you would see that throughout Roman history, how they would kill anyone they thought could possibly be the next Caesar, you know? And, and so they said, they, they uh, are saying, now the fact is that that's a false statement, right? Because Jesus's kingdom is nothing like Caesar's kingdom, is it? Nothing at all like it. It's a spiritual kingdom, not a physical kingdom. But yet that's the accusation that they make because they don't have a lot to make. But then they make another accusation. And the accusation is this, this guy, Jason, is housing somebody who has turned the world upside down. Now, I love that phrase, don't you? I love that phrase talking about Christianity because you're like, it talks about just everything changing. But here's what I want you to get. These guys were confused. These guys were angry, not because the world had been turned upside down, but because the world had been turned right side up. I want you to get that. That's why they were upset, not because everything was upside down, but because things were right again as they should have been. You say, why would I say that? Well, here, here's why. The reason is, is because the sinful state of mankind that we are looking at today was not God's original intention during creation. You realize that? The way that things are, the sinfulness of man, the wickedness of our world is not how God intended things to be. The reason that we are where we are right now is because Adam sinned in the garden and then everything got flipped upside down. Romans chapter five, verse 12 says, wherefore, as by one man, that's Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sin. I want you to see that verse where it says death by sin, death passed upon all men, all have sin. That is not in the original creation. <laughs> that is not in the way that God created the earth. When God said, uh, you know, behold, it is very good, right? Behold, it's good about creation. He didn't say, and it is full of sin. <laughs> he said it was good because God created it, but mankind with our free will messed it up. 
And so then at that point with Adam, the world got turned upside down. But then in a culture that was so focused on sinful behaviors, and I mean, they had some wicked pagan things going on there in Thessalonica. When they got right with the Lord, things got put back into order where it should be. Uh, Paul talked about it in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 9. Uh, This is later on when he wrote to that church. And he said this, he said, for they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how, here's what he's describing, how ye turned from, uh, turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. See, those believers in Thessalonica experienced a radical change. They were uh, idol worshipers. They were people who worshiped after uh, false gods. And I mean, man, the, the, the stuff that they were involved in was really, really rough stuff, bad stuff, even by today's standards. But yet when they came to know Christ, guess what happened? Whoop, man, it got flipped right around and they served the one true God. And it made a difference in their life, just like the gospel made a difference in some of your lives. Some of you today, I want you to remember what it was like when you got saved and how your life was radically changed, radically changed. For others of you like me, I was saved as a child, right? So I don't have this story of like, yeah, I was like a five-year-old drug addict, you know? And uh, man, I was always, you know, and then God changed my life, you know, <laughs> as a five-year-old. Uh, no, not at all, right? I mean, I'm, I'm so thankful that I grew up in a Christian home and I heard the gospel early on and, and you should desire that for your children. And, I, and I'm thankful for that, that moment. But also in my life when I was a, a young adult, Uh, definitely there was a shift though of mindset that changed, that came that, okay, I need to look and approach life differently as a believer. But for some of you, man, that moment you were saved, you left addiction, you left uh, dependency, you left a bad relationship, you got your heart and your mind focused as to where it needed to be. And that's the radical transformation of God. And your life got turned from being upside down to right side up again, focused on the things of God. And sure, there's a little wobble sometimes, right? And sure, there's a little bit of struggle in that, but you're on the right side anyway, and you're facing in the right direction. And that is the power of God and the power of the gospel that can happen uh, in a group of people. But guess what? That mob didn't care. (laughs) That mob didn't care. They thought they were messing with their life. And so look what happened in verse number eight. It says, and they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So they were upset that what these guys are changing things and uh, they're, they're saying there's another king. They believe them, the, the leaders. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. Well, what does that mean? Well, those leaders in Thessalonica, I wonder if maybe they heard what had happened in Philippi. And so they're like, okay, we're not going to put them in prison because uh, we, we don't want our prison broken up by an earthquake, right? Uh, we're not going to put them in prison. So Jason, you hosted these guys. So you need to give us a sum of money. That's what they're doing. It's like a, a bond. You need to, says they had taken security. That's the idea of he, he gave them money and they said, okay, you give us this amount of money and if there's more trouble, we're keeping it. You're not getting it back. Does that make sense? It's like a bail bond or something. I don't understand how that all totally works, but the idea of he gave them money as a security, everything's gonna be okay. And, uh, and then Paul and Silas, then at this point, we see them leaving the city. You say, you say, why did they leave at this point? Why didn't they stay and continue to fight? Here's just my thoughts. I don't know that it's necessarily what happened, but my thoughts are this. You know, when Paul and Silas were in Philippi, the only thing that was being hurt was themselves, right? Their bodies. I mean, they're being beaten. They're being put in the stocks. But here in Thessalonica, Jason had put up maybe his entire life savings, maybe his home as the security for them. And Paul and Silas and Timothy are like, 
we appreciate that, Jason, but we're going to preach the gospel no matter where we go. And so maybe to preserve him, they decided to head on out of town. But that's what we see in verse number 10, that by night, it says, the brethren sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, this is the next town, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. This uproar in Thessalonica forced them to continue on. And so they head over to the city of Berea. And we've got a map here. It's the, uh, it's the green line that you can see there from Thessalonica down over to Berea then. This is in modern day Greece. Uh, this was about an 80 kilometer journey for them. And so they would have, of course, done it on foot. And so they made this journey now to the city of Berea after what had taken place in Thessalonica. And so this is where we get to our second point today. Uh, because what happened in Berea was totally different than what happened in Thessalonica. Thessalonica, they got there and they shared the gospel. In Berea, when they got there and they went to the synagogue, people actually were receptive to the word. And so two, uh, secondly today, I want you to see a biblical response in Berea. Now, I, I often wonder if when Paul was like, all right, guys, let's go to the synagogue, that Silas and Timothy were like, come on, Paul. <laughs> Every time we go to the synagogue, we have problems. <laughs> Every time we try to give the gospel to the Jews, they get mad and they get envious and they cause problems. But Paul would have said, hey, no, I'm still called to go and preach the gospel to the Jews. So they go to the synagogue. But look what happens in verse number 11. It says that these, who's the, those that listened and those that were there, these were more noble than those that were in Thessalonica. In that, here's how they were more noble. In that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. You know, as Paul went in and I'm sure preached the suffering of the Messiah, the good news of his resurrection, and that his payment for sin was complete as he preached that, we see these Bereans respond unlike anyone else they'd come into contact with so far. In a loose description here, it tells us that they were more noble than the Thessalonians. And you're like, is he getting into like classism here? Like, you know, like they're better people than the Bereans at all? No, it's an understanding of the word noble. What that word means is that uh, they were a people who were not noble in position or noble in status, but they were noble in their mind in the way that they were open. They were open to what uh, Paul was going to teach them. It's the idea that they were open to hearing a different opinion than the one that they had. It's the idea that their hearts were open, their hearts were not hardened. Almost everywhere that Paul went, when he spoke, he had to break through the hard hearts of the people, right? They had some of their religion that he needed to break through. They had their own uh, ideas of how things should be that he had to break through. Uh, but in this case, they were just open to the gospel. And I love that. They were open, and that made them a noble people because they were uh, willing to hear the gospel. And in other words, we look at it this way, they had a teachable attitude. They had a teachable spirit. You know, for the Christian, for us today, there's probably nothing more important to your spiritual growth than having a teachable spirit, having a teachable attitude. What, is, what does that mean? Some people are just not teachable, Right? Maybe some of your kids are that way. <laughs> no, you do it this way. I'll figure it out myself. <laughs> you know, uh, I mentioned I had a conversation with somebody, and and uh, and and he asked me some very specific questions, and so I explained to him from the Word of God. In essence, I taught him what the answer was to that question, and he was like, "Eh, no, <laughs> you know, no, no, that's not it," and started to talk again. Uh, he wasn't a teachable person. As Christians, we need to be teachable. That means that when the word of God is taught, when, when, when things, are, um, uh, things are being showed to us, 
we are willing to receive it. It's like what James talked about in James 1.22, where he said, receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. That's the idea of, of a humility towards the word of God. Being humble and saying, okay, recognizing this, I don't know everything, right? But so often we think we know it all. Like I got this world figured out, right? And then everything changes for us. But listen, you should never have that attitude when it comes to the word of God. You should never be like, hey, I, I got it figured out. Man, I've dealt with some people throughout the years that were just not teachable. And it's a struggle, I gotta tell you, it's hard. Not because I'm a pastor and because uh, they were a, a part of a, a, of a church or a youth group or something that I, that I was leading. Uh, just because their life becomes very difficult when you think you know everything. Your life becomes very hard when there's, no, um, when there's no willingness to learn and to grow. And so these people were open, they were teachable, but they're also teachable, look back at verse number 11, because they received the word with all readiness of mind. What does that mean? That's the idea of having, uh, having zeal, uh, being good-spirited. Uh, in our words, we would look at it as eager to hear the word of God, eager, like they're excited about it. Now imagine uh, how much God could work in your life if you approached his word with an eagerness, right? You know the term eager beaver, right? It's like, yeah, like, I don't know, maybe don't understand that word, you know? That's a term, uh, we maybe don't use that very much anymore, but it's the idea of like, I mean, I'm gonna go after this thing, like a beaver goes after a tree, I don't know. Maybe that's what it means. You know, I'm gonna go after the word of God and I'm gonna absorb it and I'm gonna take it in. And they received the word of God with eagerness. That means that they got up and they, uh, and they looked at the word of God and they were excited about it. When it came time for Paul to teach to them, they were like, bring it on, bro. Like, I wanna hear the word of God. They were excited about it. Listen, is that how you approach the word of God? When you get up in the morning and, and you, uh, you know, get your Bible out, maybe it's time for your, uh, for your personal devotions, uh, and, and, uh, and, and, and you, you, know, you put your Bible there on the table and you got your coffee, are you eager or are you just sort of like, I got I to gotta read my Bible? <laughs> you know? I got to read my Bible this morning. Man. Do you approach it with a, with a desire to really hear from God? When you come to church, are you eager to be here? Uh, my prayer for you guys as a church family is not that you would be like, I got to go to church, you know. Uh, uh. What time does the game start? Well, no game start right now, right? So you can be here. I got to go to church today. I have to do this. I got to check off the box. If I don't go, you know, someone's going to notice and send me a text and ask me if I'm okay, you know, and, uh, and I got to go and I just got to show up, you know, and be there. Or do you approach it like I get to be here, right? Too often we're like, I have to go to church. We get to go to church. Aren't you thankful that we don't have to, you know, be like Paul and those who had to go and teach and read the Bible in secret at a riverbank uh, two kilometers outside of the city? Now you're like, that sounds nice in the summer, right? But uh, remember how last week was here in Vancouver? Yeah, that would not be great if I'm like, hey, everybody, uh, reach me, meet me at the river, you know, <laughs> meet me at the river in the pouring rain, bring your umbrellas because we have to go there to learn the word of God. Listen, it's a blessing that we can meet in this building today. It's a blessing that we are here. There are still many churches that are not meeting at all. In fact, a lot are not meeting at all, but we have a place, thankfully, that we can meet in. And uh, we've got to approach it with eagerness. Remember, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if we're going to have faith, we need to hear the word of God. And we need more of the word today. You realize that. We don't need less of the word. We need more of it. But a big part of it comes from your attitude in the way that you approach it. I want to hear from God. God, speak to me. And that, that starts in our heart having that eagerness. And these Bereans are such a great example because they had a teachable spirit. They were eager, but they're also an example in verse number 11. Again, look at it here at the end. It says that they searched the scriptures daily 
whether those things were so. Now, you've heard that message, I'm sure, before, heard that thought. You know, we need to search the Word of God, and it's, it's very, very true. But I want you to get these Bereans did it because they cared about the Word of God. And because they cared about the Word of God, then they were willing to check what Paul was teaching them from the Scriptures. Don't miss out on that. Listen, Paul was preaching to them uh, something that would affect their eternity, right? It would affect their eternal life. It would affect the way that they live. And so it makes sense to us that they would go and search, of course, for them, the law, the Old Testament, search the scriptures to see if what he was saying was true. They were verifying his teachings, which brings me to a very, very important point today. If you don't get anything else today, well, you should get the other things, but get this as well, okay? Get this today. This is very, very important. Um, as Christians, we have a privilege and we have a responsibility to be discerning when it comes to the teaching of the word of God. Okay, the word discernment is very, very important. Many people lack discernment today. And I hope you understand what I'm trying to say here. Discernment is the ability to look at something and see the truth and to see the error. To see uh, where it's right and to see where maybe something isn't quite where it needs to be. We call it today, uh, one of the phrases that we use to explain this is to eat the meat and spit out the bones. <laughs> and, and we have to do that as Christians because we need to understand what it is that we are seeing. And we also need to understand the, the motive behind it. Because if you do not have discernment, guess what? You are very easily deceived, very easily you can be deceived into thinking something or following after something or promoting something that truly isn't honoring to the Lord. You know, when I read books, oftentimes when I read uh, uh, theological books and I'm studying or I'm preparing for things, oftentimes I'll read books by authors that hold a different theological position than I do. Guess what? I need to know what that is. It's actually important for me to know that because how their theology is affects the way that they write the book. And so if I read something, I can't just be like, oh man, that's like totally true. And I'm just going to believe it. No, I need to recognize and let the spirit do the work within me to show me that, okay, maybe that isn't correct. Maybe he said that because of what he believes theologically about another thing. And we kind of touched on this last week about the idea of making sure that we know what we're promoting and know what we are, are, are putting out there. But as Christians, we need to recognize that it is a a privilege and a responsibility to be discerning. Now, I got to tell you, listen, church, I want you to love me. Get that? <laughs> I do. I want you as a church family to trust me. I really do. I want that. And I want you to believe me when I preach to you from the word of God every Sunday. That's what I, that's what I desire. And, and I don't think that that's not the case. I think you guys are, you guys are so, so great. But I want, you to, I want you to believe me and I want you to trust me not because of who I am, but because of what I say is firmly based on the word of God. Do you understand that? That's what I want. I want your trust in me not to be because, yeah, yeah, he seems like a good guy. I think I can trust him. I want your trust in me as your pastor to be because I uphold the word of God and I carefully and, and, and very uh, um, focused, in a focused way, teach you the word of God as it was intended to be taught to us. And I understand the word of God. And that's what I want your trust to be based off of for me. I hope, and I want you to know that if I ever say anything that sounds sort of like, huh? <laughs> I don't know if that's a thing, but you know, if it sounds like, wait a minute, like, and, and in your spirit and in the, in the spirit of God says, hey, maybe that's not, here's what I want you to know. I want you to go to the word of God and I want you to search it out for yourself. 
don't just blindly trust everything that I say. Not because I'm going to try to deceive you, just so you know my intentions. I'm not intentionally like, I'm going to deceive them. Not, not intentionally, but you know what? The best of people make mistakes. Did you realize that? I maybe would not have been as, uh, uh, maybe as, 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 I don't know, for some reason, uh, for whatever reason, maybe I missed a key element or I, or, I, or I didn't say something in the right way or whatever. And so I'm, I'm more than open to your biblical questions and biblical uh, concerns as they arise. Uh, more, now, this doesn't mean that we're critical all the time, right? Because we are easily critical, aren't we? Man, we are prone to criticism. Well, <laughs> you know, he said this, but did he think about this or this application? You know, you guys understand a lot of passages have multiple applications. And so you have to trust me to follow the Lord and the application part of it in that sense. But uh, I think you realize I'm not trying to deceive you at all, but you still need to be willing to try and check it. That's why sometimes I say, go home and read it for yourself. Go home and study it out for yourself. We've got to do that. And the reason that we need to be discerning not only is to be discerning of what happens in our church body. Right? We know that there are wolves that come as sheep into a church body. That's part of my responsibility as pastor to find those or to see that and to correct it and to protect the flock. And so we also as a church need to be protecting the flock. But at the same time, the reason we need to be discerning is because there's a lot of just, there's a lot of bad stuff out there that looks good on the outside. But reality is false teaching. See, we cannot live our lives um, on Instagrammable moments, right? Your Christian life should not consist of little quotes. God's got you, right? God has you. We know that. God's got you. But you can't, in the greatest despair and difficult time of your life, go to Instagram for your encouragement, okay? Someone may be like, but, you know, you'll never be outside of the reach of God's hand, you know, and it says that and it's got a nice picture, right? And there's someone reaching out or there's someone holding a hand and, and looking back, you know, and they're hanging off a cliff and you're like, oh, that's so great. But listen, when you are, are, when you are alone and you're going through some of the deepest spiritual turmoil you've ever been through, or you're coming, you're, you're, you're faced with such a great temptation to sin and you, and you need help, guess where you need to go? You need to go to the word of God, right? The word of God. You need to know scripture. You need to know what it says. We've got to be grounded in the word. We've got to be like 2 Timothy 2.15 that tells us to study, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That is for pastors and that is for every Christian. We need to rightly divide. That means we need to know. We need to know exactly what it says to be able to connect it back, cross-reference to other passages, know, where, uh, know the entirety of scripture, uh, not memorize it, but know the general ideas and themes and in the context of what you're looking at. Uh, in Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 through 16, I'm not gonna read uh, it all to you, but the reason I wanted to, uh, uh, and you should go and read that whole passage. Those verses are fantastic. But in there, he encourages us to not be like a child that is tossed to and fro, it says, carried about by every wind of doctrine. I've got four boys, as you know, and guess what those guys do? They change their mind all the time, right? First, it's Paw Patrol. We love Paw Patrol. Uh, then it's a uh, uh, then it's a uh, PJ Masks, right? And uh, and then it's a uh, Phineas and Ferb, you know. And and then it's like and, and then it's back to Paw Patrol. I'm like, is it Paw Patrol or Phineas and Ferb? I just bought you a Paw Patrol present, but now it's Phineas and Ferb. You hate Paw Patrol, you know. It's back and forth, right? It's their kids, their children, right? And we should not be that way. 
as Christians. Well, now I, I like this theology, and now I'm over here, and I like this theology, and then I'm going to, oh, this person said this on YouTube, and so I'm going to be like this, and, 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 and just back and forth, back and forth. Know the word of God, it says. Uh, don't be carried about with every wind of doctrine. And then it says, by the slight of man. That's the deceptiveness of man. And cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Scripture tells us that there are people who will try to deceive you. And I got to tell you, there's a lot of YouTube preachers that are pretty cool. I mean, they're, they're cool guys, man. I watch them and I'm like, man. I wish I looked that good in a t-shirt, right? Like, you know, and, uh, and uh, man, I wish, I wish I could say, and I was watching somebody recently on YouTube and he's like, he's such a great communicator. He tells stories and I'm just like, I'm either laughing, I'm crying, like this guy's amazing. And I'm like, man, I wish I could tell stories like this. I wish I could preach like this guy, you know? Uh, and then like in the first 10 minutes, he says like four different doctrinal errors, you know, just totally but, but there's thousands, maybe millions of people watching this, and they're so caught up by how good of a message it is, of how cool it is, or whatever it may be, that they miss out on the fact that he's teaching heresy. Like, it's not even, it's not even the gospel. He's messing up the foundational aspects of Jesus Christ, him, and him de his death and his crucifixion is rising from the dead, and they can't even get that right. And you're like, but millions are deceived, and so we have to be aware. We have to be aware. There's a lot of good things out there, by the way. A lot of good things out there. This is not a slam to online preachers. Guess what? I'm an online preacher now, right? We all are. <laughs> uh, and I'll see you on YouTube later. We're all, I mean, we're all out there. Um, it's not a slam, but as Christians, you have the responsibility of discernment. You have the responsibility to be the Berean that searches the scriptures to see if what is being taught is so. And when that happens, there will be a result. Look at verse number 12. There was a result. Therefore, many of them believed, also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. Look at that. It said, not a few of women in uh, Thessalonica. It says, not a few of men uh, here in, uh, in Berea. It's really, really interesting. A couple different thoughts in there. But the thing that I want you to notice is that many people turn to Christ. Guess what happens? When somebody investigates the word of God for what it is, guess what? Christ is the answer then. Christ is the answer. Uh, this Wednesday night, uh, during our, our stream on Wednesday night, our online stream, I'm going to share the first part of a video um, for the next couple of weeks, the first part of a video of, of, uh, of somebody who goes out and talks to people about the gospel in a public way. And it's, it's really, it, it's encouraging. I'm not, and I'm not showing it to you so that we should all go and do this, but it's very inspirational in, in creating conversations that point people to Christ. And one of the things that is, uh, and this one deals specifically with talking to atheists specifically. And, uh, and one of the amazing things about it is that some of these people who claim atheism, by the end of the video, they are confronted with the reality of Christ and it causes them to change their opinion. And that's what I really believe our world needs so much. That's why we say we need to preach the gospel and preach the truth of the word because it is the word of God with the spirit of God that can do the work of change in a person's life and heart. And when they're confronted with the reality, they're like, this is it, this is it. But we need to make sure that we as believers are giving them the truth, the truth, the truth in love as scripture teaches us. We need to be sharing them the truth. Now, in these stories that we've covered today, the word of God is central, isn't it? That's what we see. The word of God is central. So I wonder, how central is the word of God to your life? In Thessalonica, it's preaching the gospel. 
in Berea. It's studying the word of God, studying the gospel out for themselves. It's all about the gospel and the word of God being central. And the world was turned right side up when the word was unleashed on the world. And to me, that's just so encouraging because as Christians, often we sit back and we say, I want to make a difference, but I don't know how, right? I want to make a difference, but I don't know how. Like me going for that goofy job interview, right? I want to make a difference. Well, knives is not the way to make it. Selling knives is not the way to make a difference. But the, the ad got me because it's all about, I want to make a difference in life. But as Christians, we recognize the difference that can be made is because of the gospel and through Jesus Christ. And we must be the ones who are barriers, the symptomatic carriers of the gospel, not asymptomatic, the ones who are sharing and teaching the word of God. And so my questions for us today are very simple. Would you be like Paul who spoke up and just shared the gospel? He spoke up and he shared his faith. By the way, I'm not asking you to be the apostle Paul. (laughs) None of us can be that. I'm asking you to be you. I'm asking you to be led by the Spirit into conversations that can make an impact in somebody else's life. And the second question is to be like a Berean, or would you be like a Berean today who searched out the Scripture? Here's what's so wonderful. Those two things work well together. Did you realize that? Because as you know the Word and as you study the Word, it allows you to have better conversations with the Gospel. And both of those things go together. And, you know, we can't just go out there and not knowing Paul reasoned with them. That means he had enough intelligence and enough knowledge of the word to be able to go back and forth with people and to show them the truth. And that's what we need. need That's why we need to eagerly study the word. You know that some of the things that we've learned today, you could share with an unsaved person this week. Every single week, I try to give us ways that we can share our faith. And this is one of those ways, just by learning and studying the word of God. So today, let's be bold in our witness. Let's be like the Bereans, search the scripture and allow God to place a desire in our hearts for his word. We hope that today's message was a help and encouragement to you in your walk with God. To stay connected with us, give us a like on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at Vance City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will grow and bless you as you pursue his will for your life.